I think being married, it matures you in some sense, but being a father is a different ball game. One thing you cannot do, and there's absolutely no excuse for this, mm. you just put anything on. Mm. You just put Peppa Pig. You know, I still remember I was reciting, "You khadi'oon Allah wa ladina amanu wa ma yakhda'oon illa anfusahum." I just paused, and I just <clears throat> cleared my throat. And this three-year-old looks up and he goes, "Wa ma yashroon." Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Welcome back to the Ilmfeed podcast I'm your host Shabir Hassan Today we were joined by Ustad Hisham Abu Yusuf We, we spoke about things like being a, a father at a young age um, Raising righteous children Balancing those responsibilities And then moving into young university students And the challenges that they face today So lots and lots of insightful discussions to follow Stay tuned, enjoy this episode Ustad Hisham, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our humble studio. As mentioned, we're going to start with a um, quick fire round, which I haven't prepped you for, but we're going to get into that before the discussions, right? So my first question would be, I know, alhamdulillah, you have been uh, teaching the 99 names of Allah. Um, and uh, I don't know how far you've got, by the way, like if you were to give a percentage. We are done. You're done? Really? You're never really Inshallah. done. Okay, we've finished our series. Excellent, mashallah. Amazing. Allah, Allah accept because that's, that's an amazing achievement. But yeah, my first question was going to be which one right now um, is on your mind or are you resonating with or it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's one that you re really relate to personally? Al Latif. Mm. The one who gives you a gift wrapped in a calamity. You open the calamity and inside it, you're surprised with the gift. Um, at the end of Surah Yusuf, the last statement of his, Inna Rabbi Latifun Lima Yasha, a good summary of his life. But every time the well, the prison, the dark, difficult parts of life, um, I'm not saying that I'm in a particularly difficult part right now, but um, life has its ups and downs. Mm. And in, in the downs and the ups, <clears throat> Allah's name Al-Latif reminds me, behind every up, there's something else. Behind every difficulty, there's something else. Allah is subtle in His ways. We have to be patient to see what He has in store. Mm. I love that. I love, and I love that name. And every time I actually think of the name Al-Latif, that's the first ayah which comes to mind from Surah Yusuf because it's just, uh, like you said, it's a perfect summary of His life. Mm. And when you study that surah, you really appreciate who Al-Latif is. You know, it gives that meaning of kind of like, Gently, yet subtly planning everything in your life, right? These intricate details and then it all kind of making sense in the end, which right now we can't make sense of. But it made sense for Yusuf Islam towards the end of his life. Nothing is as it seems yeah. in the world of Al Latif. Exactly. Mm. Okay, second question is uh, completely different. Um, as a teacher in the classroom, what's your biggest pet peeve? Smartphones. Smartphones. I actively confiscate them. <laughs> I like, act what do you mean by confiscate? I actually. If I see a smartphone, like I usually tell them at the start, yeah, like I'm from, uh, you know, I'm from Ahl Nokia, right? <laughs> I, I use a flip phone, a Nokia, an old school yeah. flip phone. If I see a smartphone, I'll be very grateful for your gift. <laughs> and I will get back to the end of the day, at the end of the class. That usually deters them, but then there are some sneaky few, uh, sneaky few who kind of try to check it under the desk. I, I walk up the aisles and I say, Habibi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's my biggest pet peeve. Okay, and the third then. question was actually going to be related to this yeah. um, because I asked um, Sheikh, uh, you know, Sheikh Ashik, right? Uh, this question about Apple or Android. Yeah. And he gave me a very interesting answer, 
which was both because he actually pulled out both. He has okay. both, right? And I thought, I'm not going to top that answer. It's very interesting. <laughs> but then after speaking you to, to you today, oh, right. I, I think you have an even more interesting answer, which no one's going to expect, which is, as you just referred to, Sorry. your uh, Nokia. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Nokia 2720, to be precise. Wow. Okay. Uh, Alhamdulillah, since Ramadan, I've switched. I actually switched in Etika after this phone. Okay. And... Um, you know, because the biggest thing you're scared of is like, what, what will you miss? FOMO. FOMO, right? Yeah. But alhamdulillah, I've not missed anything. Um, I've got WhatsApp on my laptop. Like, when I was messaging. Mm. There are some, like, discomforts of life um, that I have to get used to. Mm. Like, writing down where I'm going, postcodes, and how to get there. Um, but the mental clarity it gives me, I, I, I could not purchase that with money. I don't have enough money to purchase that clarity of mind, that noise that's there with WhatsApp, Slack, mm. six Gmail accounts, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just able to live. And the things I used to do, like, you know, before I had a smartphone, you're walking, you've got nothing to distract yourself with. So you start to remember Allah. Mm. Or maybe you just start reciting the Quran. All of that went away. Because you're in the waiting room, three minutes, you check your phone. Because yeah. you're always missing something. But alhamdulillah, the clarity of mine, Nokia 2720, I get no commission. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. MashaAllah. Wow, okay. So, life. so I think I think now I don't, I, I think, I don't think any other guest is going to beat that or top the answer, but let's see, because I assumed that before. Um, that's a quick fire, just, just, just a few questions. Um, I think a lot of our discussion today is, is going to be around... Um, children, raising children, our journeys of fatherhood and so on. Um, obviously, many, many, many people would know you as Hisham Abu Yusuf. So it kind of gives it away that, yeah. you know, you, Marshall, you do have a son. His name is Yusuf. Yeah. Um, I want to start with a very maybe weird slash even personal question, yeah, which yeah. is the naming of your son Yusuf, because yeah. obviously, you know that I love the name as well, Mashallah. Right. I love Surat Yusuf. Um, and I'm sure it has something to do with that. But uh, why, why did you choose the name Yusuf in, in particular? As you know, you know, the man is the Amir of every household. So my wife decided this one. <laughs> I think both, um, you know, Um Yusuf and I, we have a strong attachment to Surah Yusuf. And uh, like I said to you, there's something about the, the ups and downs of his life and the sabr that he shows. It's a coming of age story. Mm. Um, but it's a very relatable one. And it's Ahsan al-Qasas, the greatest story of the Quran. She had a very strong personal attachment to the story. Mm. Um, so when Yusuf came about, it just it's the only name that made sense. It's the yeah. only name that came to mind. And interestingly, Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed me with the third child a few months ago. And, um, you know, we were just, oh, Yusuf's younger brother's got to be Bin Yamin, right? <laughs> but yeah. um, when Yusuf was expecting, we were doing tawaf. And we said, it's got to be Ibrahim, man. Come uh, to the house of Allah. It yeah. just feels right. So. Alhamdulillah. So yeah, that's where Yusuf came from. It's, it's our personal attachment to that story. Yeah. Inshallah. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I, I obviously I have a daughter. Alhamdulillah. So um, Yusuf was was a name obviously that I love and appreciate. But you know, it's one of those struggles in in the family, especially when you have a large extended family where you already have Yusufs and so yeah. on. Yeah. So my struggle was even with a girl, Khadijas, Fatimas, Maryams, all taken in the sense. Of course, I you know you you can name your child the the, the same name. It's not a problem. But you wanna you know, you want to avoid offending someone or, you know, the replication. You don't want to call 
like Fatima and like yeah, six guys come running. Exactly. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. my struggle was I had to think of a name. Me and my wife sat down. My wife said to me, "Listen, you're the expert. You just you just do your thing. I, inshallah, I'll approve the name, right?" So I had to sit down and think, what name is there that's like unique but has a good meaning? And you know, mashallah, uh, there's a good meaning. It's in the Quran or something like that. And obviously, that's where the name Rawda came. Because it it is mentioned in the Quran, I think it's Surah Al-Rum. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's the whole Medina visiting the Rawda. Um, so we went with the name Rawda, alhamdulillah, which uh, from what I've seen so far, it's it's a fairly uh, unique name. You know, not many Definitely. girls I've come across with Rawda, and it gives that meaning of paradise as well. Um, Beautiful name, mashallah. But uh, but on 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 that note, with the Yusufs and the Rawdas, etc., is um, naming children. Let, let's start with that because um, I think. What what I'm starting to slowly see um, over over the years is that um, when it comes to naming children, a lot of Muslim parents are now kind of um, moving towards right. Let's pick a name which is you know easy to pronounce, or especially in the climate that we're living in. I don't know, Abdurrahman is a bit you know. Yeah. So let me like go with the the easy names, or I'm even seeing some parents go to um, like trendy names, or even like. Um, what do you call it, like Latinized, you know, biblical version. So it's like instead of Nuh, Noah, or instead of Ibrahim, Abraham, or something like that. I right? even know a Judy. Judy? But it's Judy. It's okay. Judy. Ah, it's right, like, okay. So it's like, you know, Mount Judy? Like, <laughs> it's a mountain, dude. That's you cannot okay. tell me you named your daughter after a mountain. <laughs> Don't try. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry to see this trend, but like, yeah, yeah what's what's your thoughts on on that? And just the, just the general importance of naming your children with good names. I think... It's an interesting topic because names are a very cultural thing, mm. a very customary thing. And we know like in, in, in jurisprudence and fiqh, we say al-ada, muhakkama, muhakkima. It's a people's customs and their cultures, uh, they have an effect on, on, on life. And uh, they're considered in Islamic law. So the Prophet ﷺ would never change a name unless it was explicitly bad mm-hmm. or explicitly related to shirk. So all names, generally speaking, are welcome. That being said, there is a certain sense of uh, connection, belonging, someone has. Now, for instance, we say Yusuf. Obviously, the English is Joseph. Yeah. <clears throat> and I understand what where that's coming from. It's the it's the drive to integrate. It's the drive to not stand out, not stick out like a sore thumb. There's one extreme, which is this idea of like we must look different, act different to everybody else. We must go out of our way to do so, even for no reason. Mm. And there is another extreme, which is like almost assimilating. So remove all the unique identifiers, whether it's the clothing, whether it's uh, names, and kind of just blend in. Don't stand out. Um, And I think there is a middle ground. So like my son Yusuf, he knows that his name, like in the biblical tradition or in the English, etc., is Joseph. And he has friends at school or friends football elsewhere whose names are Joseph yeah. but he knows he's distinct to them there's something different between him and them and he belongs to a different tradition he belongs to the final testament he mm. belongs to Yusuf mm. and often we play the Quran we play Surah Yusuf for him and every time Yusuf's name is mentioned it qala Yusuf we say mm. <laughs> he goes there's only two Yusufs in the world me and Yusuf <laughs> so he has that direct yeah. link yeah. um and I think there is a sense of pride and a sense of belonging with, with, with that. Um, and there's something that's lost in translation. There's absolutely something that's lost in translation. Um, 
And even if we don't criticize the action, I think the intent to assimilate, there's something that, that there that we should be worried of, worried of mm. that we'll end up in a place where our kids are like, well, I'm just Mo. Yeah. It's the same as all the others. Um, there's so much pressure on them to blend in anyway. Yeah. If we don't give them a reason to have the confidence to stand out, um, we have the risk of losing them. Mm. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, no, 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 I agree. I agree. And I think that the first part you mentioned is is very it's it's important obviously to to note that we're not we're not necessarily sitting here saying that those names are bad. You know, like you said, if it's if it has a bad meaning, it's a, yeah, if there's some negative connotation to it, then yeah, we know the process would, would change it. Otherwise it's not bad. I think it's just more yeah, it's more taking pride yeah. in our tradition. Yeah. The Quran gave us these names or names of Sahaba, companions, prophets, uh, and so on and so forth. Um and yeah, I, th- I think generally there is this almost like an effect, right? You give someone a good name and you hope, inshallah, you know, just the, the barakah and the meaning of that name shines through in your child as mm-hmm. opposed to just giving them a, this name sounds cool. Oh, I found it. And nowadays on TikTok, there's like, there's these accounts that just say the top 10 uh, cool baby girl names. And you're just like, oh, this sounds cool. Yeah. You know, named after a diamond or something. Oh, it sounds nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just instead of following the trends, you know. I think people have this idea. Mm. It's a neutral name. There's no such thing as neutral. Everything is has baggage of values attached to it. Mm. So it's either our values or it's another value system or it's another culture or custom. So there's always something attached to it. Yeah. And your child's going to live with that name and they're going to connect back. Where's this name coming from? My name is Hisham. Okay. And when I first started, started studying Sarf in Arabic and I realized that Hashim or Yuhashim used to break things. You know, and I was a clumsy character, was, is, am, um, you know, I wasn't very pleased. But when I was told about uh, Banu Hashim, this legacy of, okay, right, Hisham ibn Urwa, okay, right. So I have someone I can connect to, Ibn Hisham. Mm. You know? So I, I, definitely when Yusuf grows up, I'm going to tell him, listen, Ibn Hisham, you know, this, this Egyptian grammarian, you're also Ibn Hisham. There's, there's a link somewhere. Make sure you try and, you know. So, so there's a link and yeah. it's important to have that link. For sure. For sure. Good stuff. I mean, I've had some uh, some funny some funny stories as well where, mashallah, some some very kind of eager, uh, zealous parents who look in the Quran and they find any kind of name thinking, mashallah, this must be a, this must be a name. I've had some really good ones, like some some unique ones, like... Um, Twin girls named Safa and Marwa, something like that. Oh, okay. oh, sure. Actually, I went to school with it, a couple of twins. Really? But let me ask you a question. Okay, there's a there's a there's a bad Ibn Hisham. There's a there's a bad Ibn bad. Hisham. Ibn like, Hisham. Okay. Like an Ibn Hisham that I don't want my child to relate to. Ah, okay, interesting. From the Sira. From the Sira. You know, a great enemy of Islam. Ibn Hisham. Amr ibn Hisham. Of course. Abu Jahl. Yeah. Abu Jahl. Yeah, of course, yeah. So there's, <laughs> can link, you can link it both yeah, ways. True. May Allah protect us all. I mean, I mean uh, we're going to move on from the names because um, I'm going to talk a little bit about your 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 story, your personal story, and, and just general tips about upbringing, inshallah. I mean, I think what, what, one thing that's interesting that you mentioned to me, I, I didn't know actually, was that, mashallah, I think you you had Yusuf when you were what, in your late teens or something? 19, yeah. yeah. 19. So you got, you got married. You know, in today's let's say standards, I don't know. Maybe once upon a time it was the norm, but you know, today's standards 18, in, yeah. in the West, you know, eighteen, getting married, and then mashallah, having a child at nineteen, and you know, being a young father. Um, yeah, I guess tell us a little bit about that because it's 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 almost rare, I would say, to to hear of that today. Yeah, it's it's definitely rare, and it's a very character building experience. 
um, you know, before before I got married, people were like, you know, delay having kids for like four years. They're so expensive. Mm. And subhanAllah, I realized that children bring wealth. They bring their rizq. Um, that experience was, I think being married, it matures you in some sense. But being a father is a different ballgame. Mm. And being 19 and being a father, it forced me to mature quicker, take responsibility quicker. And also just enjoy the time. Because I was at university when I had Yusuf and I had a lot more spare time than I do have today, mm. working full time. And um, it completely changes you. I mean, that, the moment that you see the face of that child, you know, you, know, you see your wife go through labor, etc. Firstly, my appreciation of my parents just went through the roof. And then secondly, you know how you can only juggle so many things. So I was working, I was studying at university, I was teaching. And how's a father? And uh, the only way I can describe it is like, people say like, oh, you've got too many things on your plate. Allah placed barakah in my plate. And my plate suddenly could take on more. <laughs> you know, like when you're going to this yeah. open buffet. And I think that's, um, every day you look into that child's eyes and you realize, you know, you are it for them. That's it. They just have, ultimately, the buck stops at you. Mm. And you, uh, the first five years, cognitively, is where most of the development, their personality is shaped. Yeah. Like it's not to be underestimated. So how am I going to treat this child? How am I going to behave? I know he's watching me. He's not, he's not listening to me yet, but he's observing me. Um, it's scary, but it's also humbling, it's character building at the same time. Mm. I mean, with, uh, so it's like your experience with obviously being a, a very young father and, and juggling all of these things. Um, and also you've, you've shared some, some of the, almost like the, the pros of that right i guess one of them is just i mean i've i've seen i've got some friends actually who mashallah also are young fathers and i see yeah. the children now mashallah, they're teenagers and i compare them to the father i'm like you're not that old you know and yeah. your, your child mashallah is is a teenager your daughter's a teenager and i'm thinking that's actually an amazing thing because it's that the relationship that you can have is very different compared to a, a gap of 20 years where almost it's, it's, I mean, it's not even almost, it is a different generation. Yeah. And you're, you're struggling to relate. So is that, is that a pro that you would say? Sure. It's definitely, it's more like I'm more on his level, mm. on, on the level of my children. I yeah. understand where they are, what they're going. One of the funny stories about that, I still remember the first month we took Yusuf to A&E. He was unwell. We took him to the hospital and the doctor looks at me and my wife and he goes, so where, so which ones, uh, he goes, he looks at me. Um, he goes, so your dad. I was like, yeah, he goes, this is your younger brother, right? I was like, no, I'm seriously the dad. He didn't believe me for a good five minutes. He was just laughing, saying, no, really, like, who's the dad? I'm like, I'm serious. He goes, your mom, who are you? <laughs> so, you know, in, and, and obviously, uh, so th that's one thing definitely that there's a pro. There's a, you know, th there's a, I wouldn't say it's a con, but it's only something that I was surprised by. You know, when people go through growth spurts, they get stretch marks. And when you mature quickly, you also get stretch marks. Like the effect of that ordeal on your body, on your mind, mm. has an effect, the exhaustion, the tiredness. Mm. But I actually think it was the best thing. Of course, everything Allah decrees is best. Yeah. But, but genuinely, when I look back, and today, like as a chaplain at university, as an imam, as a teacher, etc., I'm looking at a 25, 27, 29-year-old, and he spends 70% of his day playing Xbox. Mm. Like he is not a 29 year old. He's a late stage adolescent. Mm -hmm. like his childhood has just extended. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And um, 
it just causes you to man up earlier. That's very true. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, it's true. And I say the same thing, like, especially because I'm so involved in like the marriage kind of field. Yeah. Marriage seminars. And, and we, we, we say the same thing. It's like when it comes to even getting married, subhanAllah, like a, 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 20, a mid 20 year old today is like not a mid 20 year old, not a 25 year old. It's almost like an 18, 19 year old just in terms of the mentality. And we always say like people love the idea of, they fall in love with the idea of getting married or having kids. But they're not actually ready to get married. They just like the idea, or it just sounds it just sounds nice. Um, but they're just not mentally prepared yeah. for for that task. And it it is it's, it's humbling and it teaches you a lot. And nothing can prepare you for, especially fatherhood. I mean, we talk about relationships and marriage, yeah. one thing, but fatherhood, parenthood in general, nothing can can prepare you for it. Um, so I think it's interesting because I mean, I mean, for me, it was it was different because I got married in my mid twenties, yeah. and then you know, I'm only a few years into 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 fatherhood. Alhamdulillah. Again, for me, alhamdulillah, you know, it, it worked. Um, but it's just interesting to hear the, the varying, the journeys, you know, starting younger. Um, I had a lot of fun with Yusuf, like, yeah, because I, I was younger, I was in a more playful mood. You know, yeah. I, was, I, was, yeah. I was more playful, more energetic, mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, and uh, I had more free time as a university student. So I would I would not attend most of my lectures. I would just chill with, <laughs> chill with Yusuf because they're my lecturers. It's your excuse. <laughs> I was a dis- distance learning student, <laughs> so alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, yeah. No, and and, and I, I test that because um, as someone who's just just hit thirty, so just in into my thirties now. I think you, you do feel it, honestly. Like mm-hmm. you know, I think it's more sometimes it's psychological. What so you convince yourself? I'm thirty now. That's my life's come to an end. It's not. It's not like that for me. But genuinely, compare it to your early twenties, and then, like you said, the responsibilities, the tasks, everything else that comes with it, you feel it. Yeah, and then sure. now, now you're a parent, and now you're just trying to think of all of these things, right? So no, no, no. These, these, these are, these are, these are, um, like really, really important factors. Uh, I think to factor in. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about Yusuf growing up or your children growing up, right? Because um, I want to, I want to ensure that we cover some practical points. So Yusuf growing up, as an example, yeah. Um, I think you mentioned something that they he was observing you. And I think that's that's so true, right? Like children observing you, watching you, even though they they don't fully understand you or they don't fully they can't speak to you, they can't interact with you. Um, what did you kind of have to actively keep in mind, especially when it came to the tarbi aspect and you know teaching them Islam and things? So I think a lot a lot of times as parents were like, okay, when my child gets to a certain age, let me just teach them some du'as. Um, that that will that will get them by for for a few more years as long as they can say something. Yeah, that that's good enough. But yeah. then there's so many other things that the child's picking up along the way, even if they can parrot some du'as, but then there's other habits or, you know, personality traits, et cetera, that they picked up. So what, what did you kind of have to actively manage and think about? I think the first thing is um, a child is a reflection of a parent. You see them talking, especially as they go into like two, two and a half, mm-hmm. three plus, see them speaking, acting, behaving like their parent. Cute thing you might see them do one day, put their feet into your shoes and walk around the house. But that's what they want to do. They want to be in your shoes. Mm -hmm. That's the symbol. You you see them like pretending to pray salah, right? And it's cute. It's like, okay, this kid is just imitating me. Um, With Yusuf, like with my children in general, you know, when I'd notice something off about them, like let's say a tantrum, a temper, um, you know, shouting at his little sister or something. Mm. The scary thing would be like when I would realize that actually, hold on, the way he's just spoken to his younger sister is the way that I told him off yesterday. Mm. 
I'm the scary thing is I'm looking at a mirror. And that's when it, it's like a it's a call to like rectify myself. Mm. It's a good it's a good sign of my own character. It tells me it's telling of who I am. Mm. What we would do I think the first thing we did was we would always play Quran around the kids. So from the time Yusuf was in the womb until the time you know when, when, whenever we'd put him to sleep or our other kids to sleep it's always Quran playing. And so till today now my kids are they're nearly 7 and 5 and if i walk out the bedroom they'll be like baba you forgot the quran I'm like oh sorry <laughs> and i put the quran and they'll say you forgot to put husari <laughs> who is who is this other person you don't recognize okay the interesting thing is um ch- children are also watching how you talk to your spouse and they will talk to mm. how i talk to my wife that's how they will talk to mom how i talk to my father that's how they'll talk to that especially it'll only come out when they're four five six as they yeah. grow older and they start being more talkative and more opinionated you'll start to realize what was embedded in them you talked down to your father or you you know you spoke back to your wife and you'll see it reflected in the child you'll observe it and it'll be scary um so i'd always watch try and watch what i say how i speak mm. how i behave do things with my children as opposed to telling them to do them so yeah. kids quran time versus i've got my mushaf open the kids are climbing on me and trying to rip my mushaf apart for the first two years of their life yeah. and then after that they just sit down they grab a book and they start pretending to do to recite the quran mm. so they start imitating so i try to model the value more than i preach the value or i order them to like do this yeah one of the strange and i would still say like miraculous things that happened from this process from various things one day i was sitting down reciting the quran and yusuf was playing lego i'm re- i'm revising surah al-baqarah and uh, uh you know i still remember i was reciting yukhadi'una allaha walladhina amanu wa ma yakhda'una illa anfusahum i just paused and i <coughs> cleared my throat And this three-year-old looks up and he goes, وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ Looking at my wife. My wife was there. I'm looking at him, looking at her. I'm thinking. So we kept going. Yeah. Up to 20 pages in, wherever I'd stop, he'd complete the ayah. We were shocked. And all of this was just through listening because we couldn't read. Mm. We'd never sat and made him memorize. So from that day, we realized how much of a sponge the brains of these children are. um and how much they're watching and how much they're observing yeah inshallah i think that that's 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 one thing that i i think maybe it was a misjudgment on my part where i i felt okay i know children are like sponges i know children are observant and i know they pick things up but in my head before i became a father i was like maybe it's after they're like 3 4 years old you know they'll they'll start picking things up when they're like babies surely not like you know and that was a misjudgment on my part because literally months in I realized my daughter picking basically whether it's things like just the gestures that you make or you know like like you said you put up the musalla the sajada and then she'll just naturally put her head on the floor she'll go into ruku yeah I'm like how how is she learning these things but yeah because she's seen us the way we pray the way we talk to one another so I think that was a misjudgment on my part but that that's really shared of Yusuf mashallah is amazing because yeah it's especially when it comes to the learning side mm. it's very easy for them to pick things up um you know songs for example you have nowadays you have nursery rhymes and 
cocoa melon and this thing and that thing right and children learn these nursery rhymes easily yeah so the fact that you know why, why would it be any different with the quran mm. it's just that uh, i think in comparison to the amount that they consume of the youtube Everything versus else. yeah the quran because you had it playing um i think yeah it just why wouldn't they pick up it's an quran? important detail just mentioned youtube mm. when yusuf was born i sold my tv you sold your tv i got rid of my tv yeah and the reason was as a parent if you look at the top five Watch most watch videos on YouTube. They're all kids' cartoons, because if you go on the tube on a restaurant, there's a screaming kid, and mm-hmm. the parent is trying to pacify them using a, a video. And with the remote and the TV there, it's too easy. Mm-hmm. It's too. I know that I'm gonna give into it and be like, mm-hmm. you know, the child's being so difficult today. Just put something on and just let them watch it with their eyes glazed over mm-hmm. and just passively enjoying. Mm-hmm. So we sold the TV, and it made our life much more difficult. to pacify the child but yeah. it meant that there was no other input mm. other than us and what we were doing around okay and um nature like go off into parks go out a lot like let the child enjoy the real world mm. till today we don't have a tv yusuf is nearly 7 what does he do when he's bored so frequently he's baba i'm bored so i say great i say all the best inventions came up by people who were bored <laughs> so what he does he's bored he doesn't know what to do So he starts inventing a story. He mm. converts the sofa into an island. Mm. He turns the living room into, I don't know, some figment of his imagination. Yeah. I stocked a big bookshelf for him. So his boy doesn't know what to do. He just grabs a book and he's reading. So those are the habits I I want them to develop. Mm. And it all started with one thing: to kill my own, you know, laziness. Yeah. Get rid of the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you. I think it's quite an important step. Yeah, for sure. I think it's 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 an amazing step that you took, and it's funny because everything you're mentioning about Yusuf, it just sounds like our childhood. Like it's just it's 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 a normal childhood. It's how we grew up. We had to we had to just you know we had the outdoors. Even though we had a TV weed. then, there was no smartphones. Yeah, there was four channels or whatever it was. So we weren't even interested. How in much channel are you going to watch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so we had to make these things and build our own caves or go outside play football or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, obviously the challenge now. compared to 20 25 years ago it's completely different um so smartphones devices TVs i mean i guess that's one one uh, interesting way of putting it which is just sell sell your tv but then like would you have advice for for example parents who are like okay i i can't whatever for whatever reason i, I can't i can't get, get rid of my tv it. i yeah. can't get rid of my phone so like what do i do then because my child is still observing or whatever like yeah what would you say that i think the best second option is like find some good arabic cartoons you know find some good ca- cartoons with good values not to be arabic you know mm. with good values yeah. that at least you're hitting two birds with one stone as a lesser evil at least they they're learning something they're benefiting something one thing you cannot do and there's absolutely no excuse for this mm. you just put anything on mm. you just put peppa pig on just, yeah. just literally whatever comes to the top of the algorithm anything that looks like a cartoon because just as you would carefully choose what they eat you're choosing what their brain is consuming mm. and that's got to be a careful choice yeah absolutely um yeah i think it's such a challenge honestly it's very hard. It's, it's a big big challenge today i think um yeah with kids I mean, just watching anything and everything and then it, it 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 honestly it really plays a big role in their character and their just their upbringing you know absolutely. It, it it shines through and social interactions it has a big impact on mm. you know like they just don't know how to interact with other people because they're just so used to Baba, give me the phone you know yeah. it's like can i please be on the phone can i please watch something yeah, yeah. Oh, there's guests over here but they, well they have an alternative that's yeah. much more 
much there's much more uh you know it's much more hormonally rewarding in their brain mm. to sit sit and watch a cartoon yeah um, yeah interesting stuff interesting these are the challenges you know of of today um I wanted to ask you a question actually which was why why do you think like things like getting married young having kids at a young age yeah why do you think we're kind of moving away from that like is it is it just natural is it just the course of life now or do you think there's there's more to it i think we are we are this age or this century mm. it's like as it was put well uh, by a, by a writer we've got to the stage where we are like entertaining ourselves to death mm. you know in there there are, there's a genre of books which were written to depict like what would the worst case scenario be for this world so like a zombie apocalypse yeah there's a book called 1984 george orwell which talks about what happens if the government tries to control every human being mm-hmm. there's another <clears throat> there's another book which looks at the flip side brave new world is a classic like you know mm-hmm. written you know in in the century ago which looks like it looks at it says imagine a world where the government doesn't try to control you but instead the government um you know gives you entertainment and you know things like drugs where you're so addicted to pleasure that without realizing you are under their control you know you're pacified like you're completely useless because you spend from your morning to your evening pacifying yourself with various forms of entertainment so what's the life of a, a 16 year old 15 year old average 15 year old today yeah you know it's school it's fortnite it's fifa i'm talking about a guy for instance right a young a young lad it's fifa it's uh netflix it's amazon prime it's watching movies tv series until you know and then being on their mobile phone until 1am and then struggling to wake up in the morning you know for a girl it might be other things you know it might be something else but the the forms of entertainment are so many and there's so much available that uh people are just simply not maturing quick enough as they used to um they're not finding anything purposeful to do with their lives so it's completely normal for a 16 17 year old to spend the vast majority of their evenings and the week watching netflix mm-hmm. what's the grander purpose to your life i'm a muslim but like i don't know mm. just go with the flow i just like chilling out so that's it's it's the pandemic of chilling out mm-hmm. it's like as they say too much of a good thing is a bad thing you're you're intoxicated by entertainment by pleasure yeah there's there's nothing you aspire towards there's nothing that keeps you hungry at night nothing you think about like this is what i want to do with my life so absence that absence of purpose that emptiness filled by constant forms of entertainment fifa social media mm. tiktok videos hijab tutorials this drama that drama you know you know, you end up in a position where you wake up 10 years later you're 29 or 30 you're like, oh i probably need to get married now mm. i've got my degree of i'm on the conveyor belt of life you know yeah. college uni this this but i've just woken up i'm 31 i'm 32 mm. what am i supposed to do in my life where am i going that i think is a crisis of purpose it's a lack of purpose and there's a vacuum filled by netflix yeah um that's what we suffer from do you think it also comes down to um 
There's a lot of other things as well, practical, yeah, yeah, practical things. Like. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. But I think what you what you explained is 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 is, is definitely important. Um, but what I was going to say was just this sense of kind of what's being pushed today is like this individualism. Yeah, it's all about you, self care, self care. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think because a lot of a lot of um, individuals that I speak to when it comes to getting married, etc., they're just like not yet because. I have my life ahead of me. You know, like you said, you advise, don't have kids just yet. Give it a few years, right? And this is common advice we hear, like, you know, from anyone. And, and I understand the sentiment. I understand where they're coming from, you know? I have spoken to parents who are like, I wish, I mean, not that I'm being ungrateful, but I do sometimes wish I gave it a few more years because I could have done X, Y, Z, mm. right? Mm. But there is this kind of sense of being so kind of in individualistic, you know, the self, where it's like, no, yeah. let me enjoy, let me go and travel, let me go get my career, let me be successful, and then at some point I'll think about getting married and whatever, you know, the um, follow, following that that path of then, then kids and, and so on. I think it, a lot of times that's what it comes down to, which is just like, <clears throat> you know, feeding the self first and then worrying about everything the rest else. Of it. Yeah, it's like there is a fear of commitment mm -hmm. and avoidance of responsibility. Um, you know, there's this documentary I can't remember who, who did it, but it's called "The Age of the Self," and it's or "The Century of the Self," um, and it's about how over the last hundred years, from the birth of marketing, PR, and advertising, yeah. it's all led to this moment where we want people to think of themselves. You know, the moment Europe, like in Europe, you know, Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, he says the famous words like "God is dead." You yeah. know, they stopped worshiping God. They stopped acknowledging God. Yeah. What replaced God for Europe? It was the human being. Yeah. We we are the divine. Yeah. Right. Like, so. In before you would and, and Irving Hoffman, the sociologist, he says before human beings would offer give their offerings to the Almighty, and they would humble themselves for the and they would try to please the Almighty. Now they consider themselves the Almighty, so they give themselves the offerings, and they would try to please themselves, and they sacrifice things for themselves, and everything else is seen as a distraction and taking away from themselves. Mm. Right, so it's like a warped tawhid. It's a it's 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 a completely mess. It's, you would not even want to call such a thing, but it's singling yourself out yeah. as the most important thing in existence. And I need to be pleased, and there is a sense of self-aggrandizement behind that. But what does the Prophet ﷺ teach us? Like ultimately, you only have what you what you give. No one Aisha comes to him, and you know he, he slaughtered an animal, and uh, you know she's giving it to neighbors and. He asks her, what's left? She goes, only the shoulder is left because his favorite was the shoulder. Mm. He says, no, everything but the shoulder is left. What we gave away, that's our asset. Not what we kept because that's going to be consumed and gone. So this idea of to, to be a parent, you have to learn to sacrifice. You have to enjoy sacrifice. Mm. That's your daily mode. You're sacrificing sleep right now, right? Mm. And your daughter's, you know, my son. Sacrificing sleep, your, your time, your energy. If you're in that mode where you're not ready to sacrifice, something fundamentally wrong deep down. You know? yeah. we, need re we need reprogramming. This is the legacy of Ibrahim. Right? From the start or the end of the story, it's just about sacrifice. And the pinnacle of that story, the ultimate sacrifice, right? his own son. If you ask Ibrahim, Here's, here's a knife, sacrifice yourself. That would have been easy for him. What's harder for him? Take the knife and sacrifice your child. Mm. That is the pinnacle of what a parent has to do. 
you have to be ready to sacrifice anything for Allah's sake, for the sake of your children. And um, it's a culture that you have to create in the home and maintain and, yeah. and develop in ourselves. Otherwise, we risk getting lost by the wayside and becoming those parents who are like, I know we all need me time, okay? But this idea of like, I'm going to turn on the TV for four hours. Why? I need me time. Mm. For my, just let, let the kids' mind get destroyed. I need time to myself. Everything in moderation, but yeah. fundamentally there's something at play. I think there's other practical factors for why people don't get married young. Parents are a factor. I know a lot of people who want to get married. They're mm. at university, they're at college. Yeah. Um, they're mature. Maybe they're working a part-time job. Like they, they do know how to take responsibility. They go to their parent. Like this is a Pakistani lad. Can I marry this Somali sister? No way. Okay, you're too young. This Alhamdulillah, one of the greatest blessings Allah gave me, my parents supported me. You know, initially the reaction was like, Habibi, you don't even have facial hair. What do you mean marriage? Can you spell marriage? <laughs> yeah. right. But eventually they came around to it. Mm. That's one of the big obstacles. I think parents yeah. often, they come in the way. Mm. That's true. That's true. I think coming back to what we were saying as well, um, you, know, you know, this whole one thing that prevents people from getting married is, oh, I want to do X, Y, Z before. I get married or before I have kids. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can, talking from your experience. The bucket as well, list. I mean, yeah, the bucket list, right? But why not do the bucket list with, with the family? The, with the family. I think that, that in and of itself is an amazing thing. I, I and mean, there's this thing of thought of like, oh, it gets expensive, mm. right? With the family, with kids. Yeah. Before I got married, like, I didn't have barely a penny to my name. Right. And, you know, I was earning a very, part, working part time at yeah. university. I just had just enough to get by. But Alhamdulillah, since I've gotten married, I've traveled with my family. I've ticked things off the bucket list. Mm -hmm. I'm normal with my family. Yeah. Trust that Allah will provide. Yeah. Um, there is a sense of like, if I don't do it now, I'll never be able to. There's a level of enjoyment, a level of sweetness with your family that's completely different to enjoying it alone. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it requires something which we lack today, this idea of tawakkul. Yeah. We don't want to jump into the unknown. We like things as we like them, organized routine. I have control over everything when I'm by myself. The moment I add two, three, four people to the mix, there's uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty anymore. Mm. Everything has to be predictable. Everything has to be forecasted, even the weather, right? But tawakkul is exactly about that, is your ability to jump into the unknown and to then put your trust in Allah. Musa is walking out of Egypt. Where is he going? He doesn't know. Into the unknown. What's the first thing he says? Oh Allah, guide me. Oh Allah, save me from this. Where? I don't know where. Ibrahim is walking. He's leaving his wife and child in the middle of nowhere. He's walking away. Allah says, where are you going? Did Allah command you to do this? Yes, he did. That's tawakkul. Allah says, trust on the one who is living and never dies. He's always available. But you have to let go of certainty. We're not used to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh, final question on this before we move on is when all this is said and done and Allah give you long life and your children, your family, I mean, long fruitful lives, inshallah, I mean. all of us, Ajmain. Um, looking back, you know, when we're older, Zakaria Ali Islam, you know, style of Rasul right? Yeah, great. The great hairs everywhere. Um, and looking back at your children, like what's what's the thing you would you would be most proud of? Like, you know, I know myself, yourself, Alhamdulillah, you know, 
we've studied, we've traveled. So we would love to, for I'm sure, deep down, you know, I'd love for my daughter to memorize Quran, etc. But like, what would be the the thing that makes you like most proud and think, yeah, Alhamdulillah, you know, I think I did my bit as a parent. If my children can have a deep and strong connection to Allah, if I can see them tearing for His sake, if I can see them sacrificing for His sake, if I can see them loving the Quran, you don't have to have memorized it all. Mm. If I can see that love in them, it's genuine, it's from them. It's not because dad told me to, Baba, uh, uh, put me in this madrasa. So, uh. yeah. If I can see that love, just that spark in their eyes, Allah, take me, I'm done. I'm kuntum shuhada. As Yaqub is on his deathbed, his only concern is this. Who are you going to do ibadah to? Ibadah, it's about the love of Allah and that devotion to him. If I can see that in them, I'm happy. That's very true. I think, yeah, honestly, same for me. It would be looking at, looking at the child or children and thinking, Looking at the character, I think the akhlaq, I think it's very important for me to, for them for them to have good, refined character morals. And the other is, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Ustad, which is um, genuine, sincere love for the deen, mm. which is, which is yeah, it's, it's very uncommon to find, in, in, even though the child is the Muslim name and the Muslim garms and the Muslim whatever, um, but do they even want to? Like, do they even know why they're doing it? What, what, what they're memorizing? Why they're doing it, you know, all of these things. Probably not. It's just, it's just a tick box exercise. Has my child done khatam of Quran? Mm-hmm. Have they finished yet? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's pull them out. They've done it, right? Yeah. And the child's just like, I don't know. I don't even know what I read or yeah. which which lessons uh, which lessons I took away. So for me, it's like nurturing that deep love for the deen, doing it because they genuinely love Allah subhanahu wa taala. They they love the deen and they have this they have this connection with it. And I think it's it's, it's a challenging thing as a parent to be yeah. able to do that tarbiyah and to get them to to love. Yeah. As opposed to sometimes, you know, it's uh, it's more of a case of fear. Yeah. You know, sometimes we saw in our elders, it was like, uh, don't mess about us. Allah, Allah will hit you. Allah yeah. will hate you. You know, something will happen. We just have this picture. Because you just need a bogeyman. That's yeah. yeah. The... Allah is Allah's going to punish me. Yeah. That's that's our idea. But it's not like, no, do it for the sake of Allah will love you and and, and so on. I'm not saying that you you can't have the other side. There's fear and hope. But it's a tough one, right? To to be able to instill that that 100%. love. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. So that's a that's a fairly deep note uh, that that we that we kind of ended on on that. But I want to before before we really wrap up is um, talk a little bit about you know we talk about we've spoken about children raising children and then mm-hmm. there's this other really pivotal stage of life which is which could shape adulthood entirely and and the future yeah. um, which is university and and you mm-hmm. know the the late teens university and, and going into this age and where they're now going to be considering things like marriage and so on. Um, and I know, Marshall, you do a lot of work as a chaplain and you've spoken to probably thousands of university students, you know, hundreds of thousands, perhaps. Um, what are the, what are the, some of the, like the common, I know this is like another podcast in and of itself and we yeah, don't have yeah. much time, but like the common challenges that you're seeing, um, young Muslims face and how, how you're kind of trying to help them in that regard. I think it's interesting because when I, so a chaplain is someone who's taking pastoral care of Muslim university students, mm. Muslim chaplain, uh, teaching them, counseling them, looking after their needs. So when I was instated as a chaplain at university, I 
what I thought they needed was not what I realized. Okay. I had office hours, two hours, you know, a day, a week, etc. They could book in, come in, sit down, ask me anything. I realized that many of them doubt the very foundations of their faith. That it might be that they came across some calamity, some difficulty. But what I realized as I dug deeper is the very foundations of how they learned Islam wasn't there. They went to madrasa, they learned alif ba'ta qa'ida. They know about the five pillars, that's about it. Everything else is snippets, videos, clips. There's no foundation. Mm. So what happens? The the train smash that I experienced figuratively. Someone on the committee of an Islamic society sat in front of me and said, "I don't know if I believe in God anymore." This is on, this person's on the committee. Mm. The next person on the committee came, you know, s- doubting if there's evil. Why does why, how can I? So like, okay, so these they're hiding these doubts. It's under they're suppressing them. They don't know who to talk to. I've just opened the can of worms, and they just feel now comfortable. What's the shiny surface of like people being religious, praying salah? Underneath, mm. there's a lot of rotting happening. Because there's no foundations in place. So I say the first thing is, a lot of them don't know they are Muslims by culture, by chance. But the the fundamental question: Why am I a Muslim? Why do I believe? Many of them are tripping up on that. Is that is that by the way? Do you think tying back to the point we were just making about the children, the 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 love for the Deen and not actually fully appreciating? I think there's two things. So yeah. one is they didn't have that tarbiyah, they weren't given that knowledge. The other thing is they're at university. If they're studying physics, they're learning about the God particle. Studying medicine, they're learning about anatomy and evolution. They're, they're studying sociology, they're learning about gender theory. Everywhere they go, they are under a barrage of foreign ideology that's convincing them that whatever is in your scripture is untrue. And at some point, they have nobody to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they will first doubt the fara. They will doubt some like sub question. And then eventually they will doubt the asal. They will come and start questioning like this whole this whole tree. What you know? What's its validity? Mm. They're taught to be critical thinkers in class at university. They can ask any question. They will get an answer, an intellectual, rational answer. Everything's logical. Everything's reasonable. They come to Islam, and they come to their local imam or their local sheikh. They ask a question, and they're told that get out of the masjid. How could you ask this question? Religion was sold to them as something. Just accept it. Never, never think. It wasn't sold to them as something that it has logic, it has a reasoning, it has a rationale. So the way they were taught, plus what they're exposed to, is just combined in one place, and it's caused this implosion. You have scary statistics like Pew saying that one in four young Muslims no longer identify as Muslims. Mm-hmm. I think that's an American statistic. I yeah, in the UK, I think we're a lot more conservative, and maybe it's maybe it's one in eight. I don't know, but yeah, it's still scary, it's still alarming. Yeah, and I've with my own. As they say in Arabic, my own eyes have seen so many of them leave Islam. Right. I'm there just pulling them. Please, yeah. you know. So there's one, that's the intellectual side. And then there's the the um, the effect of all these devices and apps and social media. It's affected the human psyche. We're, distra- we're deeply distracted. We lack purpose. We lack the ability to manage our time with these devices. We're lost. There's that element there. I think... A lot of them feel lost. They feel like, like there's no compass. Like, where am I going? Yeah, I'm at university. My parents told me to study engineering. Now what? What's? I know one person who graduated with a medical degree, 
And the day they got the medical degree, they sat and cried, like out of sadness. Mm. So you should be happy today. And this person says, I've, I feel like I've worked my whole life for something I was told to do. And now I've got it and I feel empty. Mm. Where, where, what am I supposed to do? What am I really, what did Allah really create me? What's my real purpose? So I think there's that lack of purpose there. Mm. And then I think there's just so much, as you call it, fitna. There's so much temptation. There's so much distraction. There's so much going on around them. For them to ignore the noise and hone into the signal, right? It's so difficult. Mm. Bad company, bad influences, you know. The postcode you grow up in, for most people, it's not in their control. You grow up on a particular council estate in a particular neighborhood and you grow up smoking. Maybe you grow up smoking weed. Maybe you grow up swearing, cussing with the wrong crowd and then you come to university and you're like, I still remember one brother grew up on this similar environment. You know, next to no exposure to Islam at all. Muslim child, other, other than his parents. Not prayed salah, doesn't eat halal meat, smokes weed, walks into prayer room on the first day. And uh, he comes to me and goes, brother, I don't know how to make wudu. There are people like this, mm. you know. So it's like, there's such a variety. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's, those are kind of the summary of challenges that they face at that period. There's intellectual, there's psychological, spiritual, mm. social, the pressure to integrate, the feeling of being left out. Yeah. You know, a sister wears hijab. You know, all the people on her course, there's not a single person who wears hijab. She's the weird one. She's the odd one out. She might face some discrimination. That hurt. That's hard. So I think there's a lot going on at that age group. Yeah. And there's not much that they have to ride on to yeah. get them through. Yeah. I think especially in the UK here, I mean, we have a huge Muslim population now. I mean, it's just growing and growing, right? And uh, all these students going to university and you mentioned all these challenges. Uh, it's it's tough, honestly. Like, it, it, it is tough. And to think of even our own children in how many years time you know it's just scary to think they're, yeah, gonna, they're gonna go out there in the in the in the big bad world as they say and mm -hmm. you know only allah knows what's gonna what what there's gonna be then in in 10 15 years time so it's 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 pretty it's 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 strange times it's it's um scary times i guess but at the same time you know i guess there's for every time there's a fitna and there's there's a challenge it's not like 50 years ago when there was no social media there was no challenge life was okay there, there was challenges for every, for every time this is our challenge now so what, what are the, some of the things that you've over the years tried to do to help some of these students I think initially I was on the speaker circuit yeah you go around to all the ice socks, you give a talk <laughs> yeah, yeah they all clap for you they all smile yeah, yeah. they feel warm warm tingly sensations maybe they take you out for a meal and then you leave yeah and then three hours later someone asks someone mm -hmm. one of the attendees like do you remember what the talk was about? I don't know, but the Sheikh had a funny accent. <laughs> mm -hmm. I realized after like two years of doing this, especially while I was in chaplaincy, there's a groundwork, like a brickwork, a foundation that's missing. A lot of these students are coming to university. They have no foundational Islamic education. They don't know who Allah is. They don't know why they're Muslims. They lack the basics. They lack a connection to the Prophet They lack an understanding of the Day of Judgment. Of, of priorities they lack a relationship with the Quran like, these are things as an adult it's very hard to learn and especially while you're kind of trying to dodge all the arrows and you've got no armor mm -hmm. that's the best analogy I can give after doing these ad hoc talks for a few years and I, and I think most universities the Islamic societies they live on this mm. they, yeah, yeah. they live and they breed these this kind of like short attention span 
motivational reminders, which is good. It has its place. But again, it has its place. It shouldn't be the default. It should be the exception. Okay. So I thought, okay, they need, to, they need to learn the basics. But they need to learn it in a way that's relevant to them, not in a classical way. Mm. They need to learn it in a way that's engaging. So it can't just be a lecture. It's got to be interactive. So um, alhamdulillah, the last about two and a half years ago, I, uh, by the fadl of Allah, a small group of us, we started Roots Academy. Uh, today, Roots Academy delivers structured engaging transformative courses teaching the essentials of islam mm. on uh, roughly 25 campuses across the uk and uh, all face to face weekly classes every semester they learn one module you know the life of the prophet sallam iman why you believe what you believe yeah. and what we try to do is always make it relevant to their today mm. and make it extremely interactive so only a third or a half of the lesson is instructor talking the other half, the group activities, discussions, getting them to do the cognitive work. They're university students. Mm. Their, their intelligence is respected all day at university. In the evening, why should we dumb them down? Let them think, let them interact, let them engage with the material. So we developed our own curriculum from scratch. We're teaching this on roughly 20-odd 20, 20 campuses, alhamdulillah. And uh, trying to create a foundation. Let them learn the basics. Let them learn the foundation, the essentials. We call it the essentials program in a way that's genuinely enjoyable for them. Like they look forward to coming. Um, so Alhamdulillah, there's approximately 2,000 students benefiting weekly from these classes. And the idea is then that for that to be a springboard for what's next. Mm -hmm. The ulama, the muslihin, the people who are involved in da'wah, community work. Yeah. But it's about giving them the, the brickwork yeah. for them to go on and do, do the rest. Yeah. No, mashallah. I've seen firsthand, alhamdulillah, the, the work that Roots Academy are doing. So it's amazing to see the, the courses and, and, and I've had a look at the, you know, some of your content as well. And I think it's, it's so important to, to make it relevant, honestly, to make yeah. it relevant to, the, to that age group, to this time, um, factoring all of those things in yeah. and then teaching in, 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 in a certain way. Uh, and the topics that you choose as well is really important because, yeah, you, you could just jump to ulum of Quran or you know, something. You could yeah. just jump to the fiqh of whatever, right? Mm. Um, but starting with the essentials, I think, is so important. Uh, on, on, on one final note, let's say there's um, a young Muslim listening right now. Um, yeah. Maybe they're in university, maybe they've just graduated, maybe they're, they're considering you know, their future, whatever it might be. What's your, what's your advice for them you know, if, if they're struggling with just trying to keep steadfast, trying to be on the, the right way um, with everything, all the challenges we just mentioned, um, all the above, what's just... General advice that we could we could finish on. أصبر نفسك مع الذين يدعون ربهم بالغداة والعشي يريدون وجهه ولا تعد عيناك عنهم تريد زينة الحياة الدنيا. Is my advice. Be around those people. Find the right company. Your company defines you. Be around those people who remind you of Allah. You will find your way. And Allah says, don't even look anywhere else. Just keep looking at them. Even to look at them is an act of worship. Don't look anywhere else. And it's just there's so many influences. So Allah says, وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ أَغْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ وَكَانَ أَمْرُهُ فُرُطًا 
don't be influenced by those people, those influencers, those friends who are distracted from Allah. And they're trying to take you down a rabbit hole, make you join a cult, make you join a group, be part of this, their movement. Stay away from them. This is really Suratul Kahf. Find your cave. Find your guys. Find your bunch of people that remind you of Allah and stick with them. When the going gets tough, that's what will help you get through the storm. This is the, for a young person, look, searching for their way. That's the best advice I can give you. And the only other thing I can say is hold fast to the Quran and make it a part of your life. Recite it, reflect on it. As the next ayah says, وَاتْلُ مَا أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ كِتَابِ رَبِّكَ Recite what was revealed from the words of your Lord. لَا مُبَدِّلَ لِكَلِمَاتِهِ وَلَنْ تَجِدَ مِنْ دُونِهِ مُلْتَحَدًا The preceding verse. These are the two things. Allah said them one after the other. Hold fast to the words of Allah. Reflect on them. Remind yourself with them. Let it be your pep talk. And find your cave. Find your people. And even if you have the most scary tyrant threatening you with death, Allah will provide you miracles and Allah will provide you everything so that you can find your way to Him. That's what I would say. Ustad Hisham, it's been a pleasure. Zakhna khair. Allah bless you, your family, all the work that you do. Um, I've definitely benefited from the insights that you've shared with us. Um, and yeah, may Allah bless you. And hopefully, this isn't the last time that we've had you on. Of course not. Barakallah.